Welcome to Catch Outdoors, presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network on waypointtv.com. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis, reporting to listeners each and every week from the fabulous Florida Keys. This podcast is centered around great outdoors, includes topics on fishing, boating, beaching, bicycling, hiking, camping, and most anything else that's related to spending time outside of the home or office. So kick back for the next 40 minutes or so and get a taste of my Florida Wow. Week's episode. This, oh my gosh, 77. Yeah. <laughs> Titled Spring in the Keys. And that's a, a general overview. There's going to be a bit of fishing in this, um, but there's also going to be springtime stuff going on down here. Um, it is, we are solid, solidly, blah, 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 I'll get this, in the middle of March right now. And uh, boy, things are happening. Uh, both on the land and off the land down this way. So we're going to talk a little bit about that just and invite you guys down. You know, Get yourself down here to the Keys in March. It's beautiful. And it's not as insane or as crazy as Miami, Fort Lauderdale uh, is this time of year. Um, you know, it's just not, <laughs> plain and simple. Here's some announcements. As I mentioned last week's podcast, I restarted and renamed my YouTube channel, and I really appreciate it if you listeners would visit and watch. I've added three new short videos, and there's another one on the way. I'm working on it right now, as a matter of fact. I did some recent boat trip stuff with drones and things, and just I got some absolutely beautiful video I want to share with you. Um, so that 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 hopefully that'll happen this week. I've got time to work on it this time around. I've been playing too much with the new boat. Or is there such thing as too much? I don't think so. Um, the new name on the podcast, but uh, not on the podcast, I'm sorry, on the YouTube channel is Catch Outdoors. So that's how you find it. You can also search on my name if you want to. Sometimes that's easier. I think I said this before. It's, it's nice having a unique last name. Modis, M-O-D-Y-S, spelled one way only. You'd be surprised how many ways it comes to me in the mail. <laughs> I have three published books, What I Know About Fishing, Southwest Florida, Bridge to Paradise, and Take a Kid Fishing, an adult's guide to introducing youngsters to the world of angling. All three are available here in the Keys and uh, let's see, at Sandbar Books, out on Tavernier. You can also pick up my books at 239 Flies in Bonita Beach and Southwest Florida. You can get the uh, What I Know About Fishing, Southwest Florida, at Lear's Economy Tackle in North Fort Myers. And yes, you can order them from Amazon Kindle. I started working on another book. (laughs) Go figure. I think it's an addiction of some sort, sort of like fishing. I'm not going to talk about it right now. I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. Well, it's going to be obviously something that has to do with the water, but uh, I decided I'm going to do another one. Uh, I think I've knocked out four chapters already, so we shall see. Um, My heart's in it. My mind's not, but uh, (laughs) we get there eventually, I guess. Fishing report. Speaking of the new boat, uh, well, it's going to be front and center for a while, so let's get used to that. Um, I'm excited about it. I love getting back out into the backcountry again on a boat. It's just... Wow, there's a lot to learn. I will say that. Um, I've said this before. I'll say it again. My stomping ground was Isla Mirada north to Florida, um, up into Florida Bay, I should say, up to Flamingo and then out to Cape Sable, Gulf of Mexico, south down the Marathon. We did a little bit off. Well, we did more than a little bit off Marathon. We fished quite a bit off the uh, inshore Marathon. I never did much offshore there. Um, and I did quite a bit of offshore when the wind was right out Alamrata, out on the um, patch reefs. Anyway, uh, Key Largo is a whole new experience. I've, I've done really well at learning and plotting and figuring out uh, Largo Sound, which is um, 
to the uh, southeast of us. Uh, it's, it's actually our neighborhood is on Largo Sound. And uh, so I did that a lot in a kayak and, of course, now the boat, uh, although almost all of that is no motor zone. So really, it's, it's kind of limited to um, uh, playing in the kayaks there. Um, I've done a couple quick ocean trips, uh, but the Atlantic's been little, it's just been choppy. That's all there is to it. The wind has been coming east to, you know, it's almost directly out of the east and southeast, which just blows right on to the shores of Key Largo. Not cool. Um, so most of my trips have been, almost all of my good trips have been inside. Um, and, uh, I'm learning a lot and it's, it is a, you know, I was laughing with Janelle the other night. I said, she goes, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing okay at it. I'm, I'm figuring it out. I said, but I have to remind you, it took us five years of uh, constant alamorada to really get that area nailed down. And uh, I would say the first year or two was nothing but learning experience. We just we just went from spot to spot to spot until we figured it out. So this, this is a learning experience, and I don't mind that. I really don't. As a matter of fact, I just love going into areas that I've never been into uh, before. I, I'm like, wow, check this out. So uh, let's see. We did a trip on Sunday, the 5th. I'm recording this on Sunday. So this is the 12th. Uh, but we did a trip uh, last Sunday. Because I, I recorded the podcast really early last week. I think I did that podcast like on a Thursday or something to get it out of the way of the weekend. Um, so anyway, we um, tides were high. Winds were light. Uh, headed up to the upper reaches of Blackwater Sound and caught a few kudas and then headed west into Florida Bay. I'm still fascinated with Blackwater Sound. And there's so much more to look at. The um, It's got some tricky cuts to get through, though, and the water has to be the right depth, obviously. I mean, this it's real skinny water up there. But it is sight fishing, which is fun. So you can see them. And um, if you get the sunlight in the right direction and just get the water to calm a little bit, take that little chop off the top. It's not hard at all to see fish moving around. So that that's kind of cool. Um, uh, one stop we made was just outside this small little inlet close to an area they call the boggles, the bo- uh, bogies. I'm sorry. The bo- I always want to say boggles, bogies. The bogies is a, it's a channel system that runs, um, that takes you out of, um, uh, the bay or uh, Blackwater Sound, rather, and put you out into Florida Bay and vice versa. A narrow little channel deep enough to make a boat. It's a boat cut. It's marked, actually. It's marked with the uh, Park Service channel markers, which those of you that are familiar with that, the little stakes with the arrows on them saying, go this way, hopefully. Um, so anyway, we, we landed in that spot. We started working um, a ditch in there that had water flowing into the ditch and just took us a little bit to get it positioned right. But we caught a lot of little blue striped grunts. Uh, I once two snapper, and then I caught something. I didn't get a good look at it, but as I raised it up off the mangrove edge, kind of jack shaped, you know, just broad white, but not real big. I mean, no more than a pound. This Goliath grouper came out of nowhere and ate that sucker. Now this Goliath grouper was not what I'm used to seeing inshore. Inshore Goliath groupers are, you know, for me, Oh, I don't know, 15 to 20 inches, you know, fat resident, you know, they've, they've got their holes. This sucker was three to four feet long. This thing was huge. And fortunately, Janelle was standing on the bow and got to see it happen too. This guy came out from underneath the mangrove. Oh, I don't know. He was every bit of 30 something inches. You know, he's like, like watching a big redfish, only bulkier. And with the you know, with a mark, with with the water being so clear, you can clearly see the markings on this fish. So anyway, he came up, ate my fish, turned toward the bushes, and I said to Janelle, "Well, that's that," 
because I knew I was grossly under tackled. I was not ready for that. I will be next time. I'm taking a bigger rod in there and see if I can't chunk something in there and see what happens. But man, that thing was a beast and it lasted all of, uh, I'd be exaggerating to say 10 seconds, but it was fun. And we caught a lot of other stuff, you know, just a lot of little fish, nothing, nothing real major in the spot, but it was, but it was good. Fished uh, almost all artificials for the most part of the day. Um, kind of falling back on my, um, um, oh, the gulp. I mean, I really like gulp products, gulp shrimp and the gulp uh, little mullet, swimming mullet in white. I did try some other colors the other day, but the white just it just seems to prevail in this in this business. I, I has to be, I guess, again, back to water quality. I did use Z-Mans too. The Z-Mans are fun. Um, I, I started using a pearl white Z-Man on a weighted hook. Uh, an owner hook that's got the, um, it's an offset, you know, like a worm hook, but it's got a, a, a adjustable weight on it. And uh, I use those for a little while. It's got a screw front, screws into the front of the base, so it stays put. It, well, one of the nice things about that, that particular hook um, is it holds the soft plastics really, really well. They don't, they don't get yanked off very often or yanked down like they do on jig heads. Um, and the hook is, uh, you can place the hook so that the tip is right up against the side of the plastic on the reverse side. So it's it's virtually weedless, which is really helpful when you're casting up around mangroves and stuff like that. It keeps you from getting stuck. And you know, as long as you're careful, you can work it out. Uh, but it was it was pretty good. Um, one, it was not a stellar, oh my gosh, we caught everything sort of day, but it was it was it was decent. And then I did an exploration trip on Friday. Um I just wanted to go hit areas that I haven't hit. Most of the trips that I'm making now, I do fish because I always fish. But these are just more look-sees. I'm I'm really trying to get a read on the water and also a read on the tide. The tides are um, pretty wacky, but I knew they would be because they were in Isla Mirada. As an example, if you're down in Isla Mirada at Little Basin, which is where we usually started our days, that's where the Bass Pro Shops is now. Um, and it wasn't back then. <laughs> well, they had just started building it, I think, when we were there in the in the late 90s. Yeah, I believe so. Anyway, um, we would head out and fish those those uh, waters from there and, and then work your way north up toward uh, Flamingo. So the tides were virtually completely opposite. Um, I know it's kind of hard to believe, but it's, it's crazy. Okay, so for, for example, if you put in the water at low tide, uh, in Isla Mirada, down at, at Little Basin. Uh, by that time, it was almost high tide up in the Flamingo area and vice versa. So if you put in the water in high tide down south, you traveled north and you went too fast, you just run right into low tide. And I mean low, like no water. So that took some getting used to. Well, the same thing happens here. And so I'm trying to adjust these times because the tide charts pretty much in this area you don't show you much more than... Uh, like what's happening on the ocean side. There's a few stations up that way, but most of them are locked into the keys themselves because a lot of people people do the reefs and the reefs that, you know, that's where your tides are, are, well, it's important in both places, but that's the, for most anglers that come down here, they're ocean fishing is what they're doing out in the Atlantic. And so, you know, for me, it's just this adjustment. I've got to get used to this three, four, five, six hour difference. So I started at a high tide on Friday it was going to high. It said it was going to be high at around, I think it was 10, 30, 11 o'clock, somewhere in that time frame. And so, of course, when I got up to the area that I was wanting to investigate, the tide was pretty much uh, still going to low. 
And I mean, still going to low, like low, low. <laughs> so I had to be patient and wait things out before the water turned around. And then just about the time I was done fishing that day, it's like, okay, I got to get home, you know, get some stuff done. I can't spend every day on the water all day, but boy, I sure would like to. Anyway, um, the water was pouring in. So there you go. I mean, about a four hour time frame, I had opposite tides. So that's, that's that learning curve. That's what I'm working on is trying to figure out all this stuff. And uh, you anglers that have done a lot of the upper key Largo bays, you, you're probably smiling and going, yeah, we know about that stuff. And same thing was true in Isla Mirada. Same thing was true off a of marathon too. So you're always playing this tide game and it's quite complicated. The further west you go, the weirder it gets because the tides in the Gulf of Mexico are even stranger than the Atlantic tides. So then you start to have to do math on all this, you know, observation. I'll be honest with you, just get out there and do it. And all of a sudden it'll, it'll just kind of click. So anyhow, on this particular day, I wanted to go up and check out, check out an area. Of course, I've heard about it. I've even read about it. It's called um, Joe Bay. Some folks call it Old Joe Bay or uh, or just Joe's. It's a, it's a bay way up, uh, way up. It's, it's right up against the Everglades. And it has a huge area of you cannot fish in it. <laughs> I mean, plain and simple. But when you enter the Barry Bay through the only entrance that's available, um, it has uh, just a whole mess of signs in there telling you that this is a pole and troll zone. What they mean by that is that you can pole a boat or you can use a trolling motor. That's it. You cannot use an engine. Um, you got to shut down at a certain point, uh, but you can fish this whole. It's a pretty good sized bay with lots of great mangrove edges and stuff like that. Um, I had a solid hook up in there. Man, oh man, I lost a nice fish. I was bummed. I didn't get to see it. That was the water up there is not like the rest of the Keys water. The water, at least this day, the water up there was um, that funny greenish milky color like you see over in the Ten Thousand Islands. Um, and that's because you're so far up, you're not really up against that that Keysy um, you know ocean reef water. It's pretty, but it's still green. <laughs> so, but it didn't work out. You know, I lost this fish or, uh, probably just, I don't know, a minute after hookup. I'm like, it felt like a red. It felt like a big red is what it felt like. I'm, I'm guessing that's what it was. Um, ate a soft plastic, but so I got to get back up there. Now, when, once you get into that bay, Joe Bay, on the back side of the bay, which is north, um, there are three entrances, maybe four. And there's strict signage there right in the middle of that little channel that says you can't go in there unless you're paddling only. And they and they it even specifically says the boat cannot have a motor hanging on the back of it. Nothing on the stern. You can only go in there in a kayak and you can only paddle. No electric power, no nothing. And I thought, well, how in the hell do you get there? The only the only way you'd be able to do this that I can figure out is if there's entrance on the Everglades National Park side, which I haven't checked yet, there could be, because, you know, the road runs down toward Flamingo at that point, or you have to put a kayak on your boat and take it up there and then drop it in the water, which would be really cool, but... Um, Hobies are too big for that nonsense. You'd have to have yourself a little 11, 12-foot, you know, an itty-bitty, 10-foot, 10, 10 or 11, maybe an 8-foot little kayak you could stick inside the boat and take it up there with you and paddle in there and go take a look. I'll bet it's outstanding. I haven't read much about it, haven't heard much about it, because I have a funny feeling most people just don't even bother. But uh, I don't know. It got me, got that question going. That's, that's, always, that's always bad. After fishing there and coming south, I, I hit a couple more spots I just sort of wanted to see, and then I took a different route home, went due south, all the way down to the islands, Shell Key in particular, down by uh, 
Key Largo and then took the intercoastal back because I haven't done that in a while. I've been in the intercoastal uh, when I was moving a boat or two, but that was the first time I've been in there in quite a while. So it was kind of fun. I, it was a nice trip. And like I always say, I learned a lot. I didn't catch a whole lot, but I certainly learned a lot. Well, <laughs> boy, I digress. <laughs> now into episode 77, Spring in the Keys. I mean, really and truly, this is just going to, I confess, it's going to go all over the place, but that's what that's what I'm famous for. So, you know, whatever. Um, perhaps I should really call this Spring is Sprung in the Keys instead of just Spring in the Keys, because boy, it certainly has. Um, yesterday, Saturday, Janelle and I went down to Marathon and went to the Marathon Seafood Festival. Man, oh man, that was crazy. I think its official name is the the official, the, no, the original, the original, uh, yeah, Seafood Festival. Um, but it was gigantic. I, man, Marathon throws a party. You know, we went down there not long ago for the Celtic Festival, and that was big. This was bigger. This had a lot more booths, um, delicious food. Oh my gosh, y'all. Uh, fresh everything. Let me let me talk about that. Festivals like this will typically be frozen stuff. You'll get hot dogs, hamburgers, things like that. And if there's any fish involved, it's going to be, you know, like just you know, fish on a stick kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It, uh, yeah, fair food, as I call it. Uh, so this was a lot different. This was the 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 fish was supplied by local fisher peoples. Um, and cooked by local fisher peoples. And the local fisher peoples, uh, wives, husbands, and friends, and neighbors, and aunts, and uncles made all the other stuff that goes with it, the corn and all that stuff. And they also made all the, all the different dips, the hot sauces, and the, you know, just, it was, God, it was fantastic. And they had lobster, Florida lobster. They had fresh Gulf shrimp. They had mahi-mahi, lightly fried. Oh, boy, that was good. They had stone crabs. And then they had fish tacos and fish everything. I mean, you just, you just have to... It was crazy. <laughs> I'm going next year. There's no doubt about that. Um, all the beer people were represented, including my favorite, which is the Alamorada Beer Company. They make a, a an ale that I really, really like, and that was there. Um, and of course, you get margaritas and all that stuff if you're if you're into that. Uh, and frozen drinks. They had a, they actually had a daiquiri uh, counter set up where you can make get frozen daiquiris. The vendors were great. Tons of vendors that I had not seen. This was not totally boat related or totally fishing related. This was like everything you can possibly imagine. Um, so I kind of enjoyed that, but but really fun. Lots of neat people. Uh, met some met some really really cool people too. While we're walking around just talking or standing in line for food, you always meet somebody when you're standing in line for food. But I would highly recommend it. Keep an eye on next March. If you're down in the Keys, you definitely want to check out the um, uh, the original Marathon Seafood Festival. There, got the whole thing out that that time. But we had a lot of fun with that. The most obvious sign of spring springing down here is that, is the festivals. Um, like I said, we did the um, the Celtic Festival just a couple of weeks ago, and there's more stuff coming. There's a lot of outdoor things happening across the street from us at the crib. Oh, by the way, we found out that's the nickname for the Caribbean Club. The locals here just call it the crib, which I think is hilarious. That's so much easier to remember <laughs> than the Caribbean Club. We live across the street from the crib. Oh, Lord. Um, this is a party place. I'm not kidding you. Live music, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You can hear them from the back of our house, especially if I'm out there barbecuing. And um, they have great festivals. They had a, they had a uh, uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, St. Patty's Day. Had a St. Patty's Day parade over 
on the highway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things stop around here when they do stuff like that. And then they had a great big St. Patty's Day party across the street at the Caribbean Club. The crib, as I'm going to call it from now on. Uh, but anyway, it, it, that was interesting. Um, you know, it's just that's just springtime here. You can really tell people are totally into this. Spring here is really different uh, when it comes to... Um, who comes for spring break here? It is not real kid oriented. You don't see the kids stop in Fort Lauderdale and Miami, you know, down on South Beach. That's pretty much where they go. And that's cool. They don't come down here. Uh, and if they do, they come uh, family wise. You know, Janelle was pointing out to me it's mom and pop and the kids. The kids are out of school. Let's go to the Keys kind of thing. I, I would have to say a huge. A huge reason for that is probably affordability. Um, things are expensive here, especially if you're going to stay at one of the resorts. And if you're going to do it for a whole week, you know, I mean, spring break is a week long, so it's not something where you come down for a day or two. Um, you can, of course, but, you know, so it's a, it's a little different here. No, it's a lot different, actually. We've noticed that there are quite a few people here. It's I'm not going to call it crowded, uh, but we have that same thing that happens everywhere else south of Oh, I don't know, like a line drawn across Okeechobee. Let's just let's just say uh, the Tampa Bay area all the way down the West Coast and then over at the Palm Beaches all the way down. Sp uh, spring break is the month of March, and it is insane because the snowbirds are still here. Tourists are still coming. Uh, we do get a good a batch of Europeans come over at this time of year. And then, of course, we have spring break and all the kids are out of school. So that's an excuse for, in our case, mom, pop, take the kids somewhere. And if you're an older teen or you're in college, then, of course, you go to one of the party beaches. So but we don't we don't see that that much here. What we what we actually see here is uh, more of the family and the family outings. And I think that's why we have all the festivals here. I think that's why we do all that that fun stuff on the weekends, those Saturdays, Sundays. So, and I'm getting a big kick out of that. The only thing, it does get in the way of fishing, so you have to you have to know that that's going to happen. But other than that, it's a lot of fun. Now, there's Key West. Now, Key West, I would say, is more traditional. It's expensive to stay, so the kids are going to have to group up. You know, you're going to have to put six or seven or eight of you in a house or something to be able to afford it because the key prices have got, it's gotten really ridiculous, to say the least. So that one, um, that's probably where it's more traditional because of Duval. I mean, Duval is a bar street. That's 40-something bars in every... 100 feet. <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> but it's sure, it seems like if you walk out of a bar and turn, you know, turn right as you're whichever direction you're going and you'll walk right into another one. It's not it's it's very hard to walk past anything. And, and if not, if it's not a bar, it's a T-shirt shop. So but that's more traditional to me. That's more spring breaky. And so that's what's going on down there in, in Key West. Much larger crowds. Um, you know, they dump cruise ships there, too, don't forget. So the cruise ships come in and, and dump folks out for four or five or six hours of uh, to hit Key West. And so that's all mixed into that. So that does make it a little crazier. But from up here in Key Largo down through Marathon, it's um, it's a lot. It's a lot different. It's yeah, it's a lot different. Don't forget, too, that um, I always like to point this out. The Florida Keys are 125 miles long. <laughs> you know, that's a that's. That's big. Uh, that's like going. That's a trip from what, like Tampa down to Fort Myers. I mean, it's it's that's a long ways, and uh, that's a lot of lot of beach on either side, a lot of resorts, and a lot of places to stay and see. So if you go into the concentrated areas of our home, Fort, uh, I'm sorry, Fort, yeah, Key Largo, um, and then down to Alamrata, Marathon, and Key West, 
that's where the crowds are going to be. In between, it's um, it's still, I would have to say, after driving all the way to Marathon and back yesterday, it's fairly quiet in between there. If you can find a place along the bay or along the beach, uh, you can do a pretty laid-back spring break on, on these islands, no doubt about it. Let's spring into nature. <laughs> Change gears. Um, yeah, I'm a nature boy. I like it outside. I do. I, I confess. Um, fishing is my, my gig, but I also love um, beaching. Love going to the beach here. Snorkeling, diving, uh, birding, bird watching, stuff like that. Let's go to birds. Let's do that first. Um, migration. Uh, bird migration, you know, in the late fall... So for us, that's November, December, when we get close to Christmas, these, all these birds start showing up. And it's pretty obvious when it's gotten cold up north. You can tell right away you start seeing birds that you have not seen all summer long. And, and, and the songs that they sing, you, it's like, what is that? You know, I don't have any idea. And um, you start watching and looking, and you suddenly realize that our, our feeders in particular, and we live in woods, we live in a hardwood ham- hammock. And in the hardwoods, there's just all kinds of birds making noise that you didn't even notice back in July. Um, and so this migration starts to happen. Now, this time of year, March, the opposite's happening. As things start to warm up and the flowers start to bloom up in the Midwest and, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee and up in that area, the mountains, the, these birds turn around and go back. Um, matter of fact, I read yesterday there's a big hummingbird migration that comes out of Florida. I did not know that. Uh, we never had a lot of hummingbirds at our place in Fort Myers or in um, Fort Lauderdale. So that was more a little more inland, a little more north of us. I, I, I see a lot of posts and stuff, uh, especially people around um, Stewart in that area, uh, the northern end of the Palm Beaches. But anyway, down here, it's more, uh, we see water birds. Uh, I think probably the most notable weird thing, yeah, I'll call it weird, is loons. You know, loons are, I have always associated loons with the lakes, the Great Lakes, and way up into the northern reaches of the United States and lower Canada is where the loons are. But they show up down here, and I'm not talking about the tourists. <laughs> I'm sorry, I made my own self laugh. <laughs> talking about a bird. Um, I guess it's a snowbird in a weird way, but the loons come down. Now, what's weird about the loons is, number they do a couple of things that are really odd. They will attack a lure. <laughs> if, you, if they're in the water... Loons are very, very similar to our um, cormorants and ahingas. They're, it's a diving bird that goes down underwater after fish. Okay, it's not a, I, I shouldn't call it a diving bird, it's a swimming bird. And it dives down once it's on the water and goes after, after fish. Um, well, the loon will attack a lure. I, I honestly, I have rarely ever ever had a, a cormorant or, or uh, an ahinga to attack anything underwater unless it was attached to a fish. And then they try to steal your fish. But the loons will attack a lure if you're not careful. And they, these are big, strong birds. These are not little, like, they're, I guess I'd call them muscular, a little scary. Um, the other thing that I've noticed in them, they don't, they don't fly in big flocks you might see one or two on an open water where you're fishing or where you are and and when you first see them the first time you're like what in the devil is that thing you, you know it's it's not a duck and it's and it's too large to be in a hinga or a cormorant at a distance and it's it's a loon now here's the weird thing the loons are known for making a really strange sound at night and if you've ever been up north, if you live up north, you're on lakes, you've heard this sound. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's eerie, loony, I guess. I don't know. Um, but down here, they don't do that. 
They don't make any noise at night. I have no idea why that is. I have read stuff in books. I have a bird book that's got all kinds of outdoor waterfowl, and there's no mention of the fact on why. It is mentioned that that does happen. But, um, And I've talked to people when I was fishing in the Fort Myers area and fishing up in Charlotte Harbor. There were a couple of other guides up that way that said they had heard them at night, but it was extremely rare. Well, down here, you don't ever hear it. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but that's one of those birds that migrates in and out. Another one's the osprey. Most people don't think about this, but the ospreys leave this area um, in the in the summer when the summer comes. There are plenty of ospreys around now. It was more notable back when ospreys were in, highly endangered and just disappearing. Um, but now that the the flocks are or not the flocks, the youngsters are back. The the uh, fledglings, um, when the birds fledge, the osprey youngsters they stay behind. Mom and dad leave. So in the summer, you might see an osprey standing on an osprey nest. But that's not the adult birds. That's usually one of the kids that was left behind when the adults split. Osprey's got it figured out, don't they? Yeah, man. Okay, you're on your own. See you, bye. And they go, they go travel north, and then they come back down here, and they have little ones, and they do the whole process again. So that's a, it's a migratory most people don't think about. Eagles are the same way here. Our eagles will disappear. Um, when you start to get into the springtime here, the eagles will um, fledge their their uh, little ones out of the nest, teach them to fly, teach them to hunt, and then they get the hell out of Dodge. And you wind up with a, a whole bunch of young eagles, which are much easier to spot than a young osprey. Young ospreys, they color out real fast, so they kind of look like the adults, uh, whereas the young eagles don't. The young eagles can stay uh, kind of a brownish, almost, they get mistaken here for golden eagles if you don't know that golden eagles are a whole lot bigger. But they, um, they have a tendency to be... Um, all brown, you know, little bits of white on them, but nothing, not the white head, not the white tail, not the dark, dark feathers yet. And they stay that way for quite some time. I think I read somewhere two and a half to three years before they really get all their colors. So you do see a lot of youngsters around uh, end of March into April and May, and then the adults are pretty much gone until next year when they come back to nest again. One of the coolest of the birds uh, is a swallowtail kite. And I, that, I'd have to say that's my favorite of the migratories. And, and they are really, really interesting. They, um, You'll see them. They're uh, mostly white in color with black on them. Uh, they are an inshore bird. In other words, you generally do not see them along the coastlines. They're usually back over the scrub, pinelands, um, you know, scrub, where the rattlesnakes live. <laughs> if you're going up and down I-75 on the west coast of Florida, so south of Tampa going down into Naples, all the way down 75, there's a good chance if you keep your eye out, you'll see them. Uh, they have a split tail. The tail is actually split. And uh, so it doesn't look like any, they look like a something that you would fly. It's hard, like a glider. I mean, they're really, really pretty birds. Um, they have a interesting migration pattern. Uh, the swallowtail kites, they leave South America and head for Florida in the spring. So they're on their way here and they fly without stopping. So they leave South America and they have tracks that come all the way up to Florida. And these people track them. As a matter of fact, some of them are, are, are uh, they have the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, transmitters on them. And so they can actually track them. You can follow them on, on your computers for really, you would not believe how far they fly. Some don't make it. Um, if we have heavy, heavy winds, uh, say out of the east, for example, blowing as they come up toward the uh, uh, 
Gulf of Mexico, they'll get blown out to the Gulf and they won't survive the trip, which is sad. The reverse happens um, in the late summer when you start to get into um, August, September, they turn around and go back to South America on the long flight. So the only time you're going to see them is in the summer. So keep your eyes open. This is the time they show up. And I just think they're one of the most remarkable birds. I love to watch them glide. Uh, they hunt together. They do their they're hunting. Uh, it's really cool. There usually be a couple of them. Sometimes three, but mostly just a pair. You got one that's up higher, and you've got one that's down low. The low one is swooping into the pine trees. It just kind of it just kind of zigs in and out of the pines. And what he's trying to do is scare a bird out. Doesn't matter what it is. Dove, sparrow, some small bird will come flushing out, and then the one up top dives and nails the bird that got flushed out. So it's a process they use, and I've watched it happen. It's it's really amazing. You spend time outside fishing, and you do inshore like you're fishing on a lake or somewhere like that, and you're going to see these birds do this, and it's 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 really remarkable. Winter time here is dry season. Uh, we discovered how dry it was. <laughs> it hasn't rained here in a month. Maybe longer. I can't remember. They said it's been weeks and weeks now. You can tell. I've got to water plants like crazy to keep things going. Um, we have a couple of, um, we have a, a, a bird, it's a ground bird bath. It's on the ground. And then, of course, we have a mangrove plant out there I got recently that stays watered all the time. And all these birds are showing up and drinking out of it. Now we've got, you know, this is crazy. The other day we had the birds, we have the, um, uh, what do they call uh, wood rats, the wood rats. They come out of the hammock. Let's see, those are the harmless ones. Uh, raccoons uh, and cats. <laughs> we have a, we have probably three, maybe four, but three that I'm aware of, three stray cats that live in the woods and seem to be doing quite well in the woods. Um, I'm sure people are feeding them. We don't. We try not to do that. But they come to the water. It's been so dry. Now they're drinking out of the water, out of the water, um, it's a it's a ground bird bath is what it is. So all these birds come and all these animals come and it's kind of neat because it got you can tell boy it got dry. We didn't see any of this nonsense going on when the rainy season going. They got plenty to drink out of puddles and wherever they want to go, but now they're locked into this this one spot. All right, let's do fish. You've been waiting a while, haven't you? <laughs> boy. Also migrants. <laughs> they also move a lot. They migrate. Uh, you'd be surprised how much, actually. I guess the, the A number one one in our area is going to be tarpon, so I'll talk about that. Um, they're all around us in the winter. They're not the biggest ones. The biggest ones are Atlantic Ocean, south uh, to Cuba, Belize, and down in that area, the, the northern northwest reaches of um, um, uh, South America or Central America, I guess I should say. And they, they migrate their way up to the Florida Keys. And that's when the really big ones start showing up right now. As a matter of fact, we were driving, like I said, south to Key Lar uh, to uh, Marathon uh, yesterday. And as we crossed the big bridges, especially the ones just south of Isla Mirada going down across the islands, there were lots and lots of boats that were obviously fishing the bridges for tarpon. That's pretty much what they're doing right now is they park themselves near those bridges and they uh, wait for the, the schools to come through and then pick up a tarpon. It's easy peasy. I'm not going to kid you. If you, if you. if you really want to get a tarpon, you hire a guide and you just they'll just take you to the bridges and you get yourself one or two, maybe three, maybe four if you're really lucky. Uh, so this is the season. These tarpons start to migrate north as we go into late March, April, and May. They're just strings of them. They come out of the lower waters below us, come through the Keys. They head up uh, around uh, the, the tip of Florida, 
Um, and eventually they make their way all the way up to Sanibel. Uh, well, they go, of course, they got to go past, let's see, Marco, Naples, uh, Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel, Captiva, all the way up. And eventually they go all the way to the Panhandle. It's a, it's a migration process that takes them north. Um, so the high time here is right now and will continue to be that way, I would say, at least until middle May before it starts to thin out a little bit. But just at that point, you're going to go right back to getting the 60-pounders, the 70s, the 80s. You're not going to see the you know, the 150s. Or, oh, you might. I, mean, I can't say you won't. You can't ever say you won't about a fish. But, uh, but they do migrate in that fashion. And then uh, there'll be a return trip later on. They, uh, when we get to September up north, they will start to cruise back south as it goes. The waters cool off at the Panhandle and do exactly the opposite. And they'll come back through here, uh, usually October. Um, there's a pretty good push here in October, but for a whole month, uh, they'll come through and then they'll eventually vacate and we'll wind up with residents again, like other, other areas of the west coast of Florida do. Uh, the, the resident tarpon park themselves, and they're not real big, but they're fun to catch. Um, so that's one of the big ones. Um, catch them on flies, catch them on lures. Um, one thing to note about the migratory ones, um, they will eat big baits, but that's not what they're really about. Uh, what they're really about is moving. And when the tarpon are moving, they're not so interested in chasing a bait around in circles or diving through schools. They're interested in picking off stuff that's really, really, really easy to get to. So lure placement and size is important. Um, I have to, I have, I've never done lures for them. I've done flies and I've done bait, but I've been told on the lure side, keep it small, you know, think small, don't, don't drop something really big in front of them and make them eat it and usually use a dark color. So if you're going to go with like a gulp, um, a zoom, uh, uh, some kind of, you know, one of those kind of baits, uh, a Z man's, you know, things like that. Um, those are, that's what you want to go with. Keep it small, three inches or less if you can and, and dark in color. I'm going to have to try that this season. I'm going to be right in the middle of it. So <laughs> I love catching tarpon. I don't think there's anything better out there for just sheer, uh, uh, battling, uh, man, trying to, uh, I've lost more tarpon than I've landed. I think most anglers will admit to that unless they're like champions or something at it. Um, I do love tossing a fly though. So it's going to be hard for me to do a lure, uh, when I know the fly will get eaten more readily than the lure will. Um, so that's, that's, that's the beef on that other fish snook. They've been hiding. They're up in the back. They stay in the warmer waters as waters chill and cool on the edges, especially on the west coast of Florida, not so much here in the Keys. But as the water cools, they, they tend to hang out in the back country, and then they start to move out um, to the coastal areas for their uh, – uh, it's, it's basically a migration pattern uh, for um, spawn. And mostly found Cape Sable beaches. So our area, you're, you're obviously going to catch them on the outer islands and the islands that are right next to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, just what I have read and what I have learned about snook is the it has to do with the salinity, being able to float the eggs, which is why they don't generally spawn in fresh. They almost always spawn in, fr in salt water. And so the saltier, the better. So they head out to where it's really, really salty, plain and simple. Um, and so I like to go out and look for them on the very edges of the... Um, Oh, the intercoastal waterways. It starts to come around and move north out of um, uh, just past uh, Alamrata. The, the whole thing shifts to the right and starts to head up toward Cape Sable. That's a good path to follow to look for snook. Big ones, too. I mean, really, really big ones, especially around the mangrove islands. Um, last year, good gosh, I caught 
I think two at 40 inches and quite a few in the 35 to 38 inch range. I mean, it was, it was, it was a, it was a banner summer last year. I hope I can repeat that this year. Um, Redfish, same thing. Red, redfish are interesting. Redfish eat all year long. They're not really affected by the cooler water, especially not down here. Our, our cool water, let, quote, is like 74, you know, maybe maybe down to 72. Uh, but our water stays that even in the back bays, we, we tend to do lower 70s here. But the redfish still get a little lethargic and a little, I don't know, they're just not terribly interested at this point because they don't have to be. Um, so they, when the springtime hits, they, they turn, they basically turn into real animals and will eat almost anything placed in front of them. So keep that in mind. I go for shrimp. I mean, really and truly, you know, I like to try to use live bait or live bait imitations for all the other the two others I mentioned. Well, not so, like I said, don't do tarpon that much, but for snook, yes. Uh, something white, curly tailed that jiggles in the water. That's what they like. You, uh, top water baits work pretty good too once the water warms up. But redfish, man, they just get all voracious. Um, I like darker colors all the time. I don't generally use like bone whites and things like that for them. If I'm going to use a top water, I'm going to use something that's got rust in it, rusty red, even black, something dark. They, I don't know what the deal is with them, but they just tend to go for that better than anything else. Um, but again, it's, you know, it's, it's all about that feed. One thing that reds will do really, really well is they will do artificials. So don't be afraid to throw artificials to them. While everyone tends to go for baits, and a lot of anglers just, you know, they got to do the shrimp thing. I like, I throw shrimp on jigs to them. Of course I do, up under the mangroves. But reality is they'll eat soft plastics, but the presentation is real important. You have got to slow down. You cannot be going real, real fast with these fish. You can't, you, you know, don't throw it in the bushes and immediately start uh, wiggling the thing out of there that's probably not going to work you might get a slash at it but more than likely they'll miss um, throw it up in the mangroves if it's on a jig head uh, and i like to use lightweight jig heads when i throw soft plastics let it drift down toward the bottom and give it a little tiny bump when it hits the mud don't don't go real crazy with this thing and after you've done that you didn't get a bite let it sit again and do it again real slow presentation even though it's warm water even though they're hungry they are hunters uh, by digging in the bottom with their nose and they like to flush out little crabs and stuff so they're used to things not being like readily available right in front of them so you got to work to to give that little bit of a push in the mud to make them pay attention to it so slow down i'm i'm saying this all the time when i was a guide to the anglers on the way slow down man take it easy give them a chance to find it um and that's a guy issue not a gal issue gals will listen and do what you tell them to do but the guy will go right back to jerking the bait around as fast as he can don't do that relax give them time to eat all right that's it folks i gotta sign off thanks so much for your notes questions emails, stuff like that. I just got a whole batch of uh, texts from family and friends about uh, the use of braid, braided line. Oh, I know what I'm going to do next week. (laughs) Thank you for the idea. I really like that. Anyway, we're going to do a whole lot more fishing this week. Going to get myself back out there in the back, uh, try to work out these little hidden secret spots and see if I can't get some fish going here. And then I'll talk to you, talk to you about that next week. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. My podcasts are scheduled for each and every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, please tell a friend, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Catch Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network. It's available on Waypoint and many of your favorite podcast providers. The Facebook page is Catch Outdoors. The website is Waypoint.